On any given day, there are many things going on in a metropolitan area of over 150,000 people. In any given edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, the goal is to bring as much relevant information to as many people as possible. This is the attempt for November 9th, 2021, and I'm the producer and host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, one of Charlottesville's former police chiefs wants to sue the city for wrongful termination. Albemarle Board of Supervisors formally begins the comprehensive plan review, and Albemarle may also have a potential budget surplus of over $13 million. ProPublica takes a look at the links between industrial air pollution and cancer, and the Virginia Festival of the Book will return to an in-person event next March. Let's begin with a Patreon-fueled shout-out. Colder temperatures are creeping in, and now is the perfect time to think about keeping your family warm through the holidays. Make sure you are getting the most out of your home with help from your local energy nonprofit, LEAP. LEAP wants you and yours to keep comfortable all year round and offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. Former Charlottesville Police Chief Rochelle Brackney has filed a complaint with the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission alleging she was wrongfully terminated by former city manager Chip Boyles. Boyles resigned on October 12th, citing personal and professional abuse in the aftermath of the September 1st firing. Brackney and her lawyer, Charles Tucker, held a press conference this morning at City Hall to announce the complaint, as well as a demand for millions in damages. Tucker appeared to make the claim that Brackney is still the chief. She's not here today to talk about an abrupt termination. She's here today to talk about a wrongful attempt at a termination. Tucker alleged collusion to remove Brackney by counsel, top police officials, and former manager Boyles. Complaints to the EEOC are private, and information is only available to be released to the individual who files the complaint, as well as the subject entity who is the subject of the complaint. A spokesman for the EEOC told me today that he could neither confirm or deny the existence of the complaint. He noted that an EEOC complaint is the first step towards filing a lawsuit. Learn more about this process on the EEOC's website. The agency's authority comes from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. There's also a fact worth reviewing. Tucker is employed by the Cochran Firm, a national law firm founded by the late Johnny Cochran. Cochran was part of the legal team that successfully defended a former football player, O.J. Simpson, on double murder charges in October of 1995. Special thanks to Dory Zook of WINA for providing the audio. Take a look at the coverage on NBC29 for more information. One of Charlottesville's most popular events will return to some in-person events next spring. The Virginia Festival of the Book was canceled in 2020 and was held virtually in 2021, but will return with a hybrid event from March 16th to March 20th. 
The festival has also been holding online programs year-round as part of its Shelf Life series. Headlining speakers for the 28th festival will not be announced until January. Review previous programs on the VA Book website at vabook.org. An investigation by ProPublica has identified the Radford area in the New River Valley as one place in Virginia where residents are more likely to contract cancer due to air pollution. That's due to the presence of the U.S. Army Radford Ammunition Plant. Here's a link from the summary. This facility alone is estimated to increase the excess cancer risk for people living within five miles by an average of one in 4,100. ProPublica's interactive map also shows pollution hotspots in Richmond and Petersburg. Their investigation is based on analysis of five years of data from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Learn more in a story on NBC29 that is part of a collaboration between Gray Communications and ProPublica. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for two more Patreon-fueled shoutouts. The first comes from a longtime supporter who wants you to know, Today is a great day to spread good cheer, reach out to an old friend, compliment a stranger, or pause for a moment of gratitude to savor a delight. The second shout-out comes from a more recent supporter who wants you to go out and read a local news story written by a local journalist. So whether that be The Daily Progress, SIBO Weekly, Charlottesville Tomorrow, NBC29, CBS19, WINA, WCBE, whichever, some other place I've not mentioned, this community depends on a network of people writing about the community. Go learn about this place today. Two big stories from Albemarle today, both of which come from the November 3rd meeting of the Board of Supervisors. First, Albemarle County has formally begun the process of updating its comprehensive plan. The Board of Supervisors adopted a resolution on November 3rd that kicks off a multi-phase process and public engagement plan for the first round. But let's get a reminder on what this is all about from planner Tori Canalopoulos. The comprehensive plan is a guiding document for the county and is a 20-year plan, which includes housing, transportation, land use, economic development, natural and historic resources, and public utilities and infrastructure. It is created through collaboration between county staff, community members, the Planning Commission, and the Board of Supervisors. The plan influences everything from the Capital Improvement Program to decisions on land use, such as rezonings. Supervisors last adopted a plan six years ago. Since the current comprehensive plan was adopted in 2015, there have been a variety of new policies, plans, and plans adopted by the board, including the Climate Action Plan, an updated housing policy, Project Enable, and an updated strategic plan. Additionally, the Office of Equity and Inclusion was created at the county, and the board adopted the new organizational value of community. Since 2015, Canalopolis said 4,000 new dwelling units have been built, and the population is expected to continue growing. With that comes increased demand for urban services to be delivered by the local government. The first phase of the plan review will take a look at the county's growth management policy, which has been embedded in the comprehensive plan for decades. 
That will include a capacity analysis for the county's ability to provide new housing, as well as the needs of economic development. Phase two will identify the main topics of the comprehensive plan, evaluate existing conditions for each, and provide updated frameworks using the lenses of equity and climate action. Phase three will identify recommended action steps to implement the plan and metrics to track progress. And phase four will finalize the document for adoption. At the same time, supervisors have asked for some changes to the zoning ordinance that would happen concurrently with the comprehensive plan review. The winter holidays are approaching, so there will not be a public kickoff for this process until January. Between now and then, a working group of community members and other stakeholders will be assembled to oversee the process. Supervisor Ann Malik said the process to update the Crozet master plans at times was more difficult due to the lack of institutional memory and history about how that area has been a designated growth area. There was a real challenge to help people to sort of catch and like get enough background to be able to understand what they were being asked. And I think that getting that knowledge base will prevent a lot of frustration that happens when people are asked to respond to a survey about which they're given no information. And they just get mad. Malik also wants more public meetings in places that aren't government buildings. Supervisor Ned Galloway said he wants to make sure that the public knows the review is underway. It can be frustrating, I would imagine, for everybody involved where community members may become late to the game. Um, we do our best effort to put things out there that this is going to be worked on, these the ways to participate are there. And then if they are missed, then we get, well, where is this coming from? This is coming in at the 11th hour or things like that. So whatever we need to do PR-wise to assist your work to engage the community, we'll have to do. The Albemarle Planning Commission will have a work session on the Comprehensive Plan Review at its meeting on November 16th. And this is a quick reminder that I created Town Crier Productions specifically to cover this kind of story. It's part of my beat and has been for many years. I have never and will never take any payment from Albemarle County for this service, nor will I take any direct payment from any level of government, federal, state, or local. This program is supported by contributions from listeners and readers, and the goal there is to keep this reporting independent and to be transparent when you do hear shoutouts and the like. Our second story from the November 3, 2021 Albemarle Board of Supervisors meeting comes from a fiscal update that came from a briefing from County Executive Jeffrey Richardson on the closing of fiscal year 21, which ran from July 1, 2020 to this past June 30th. Like all localities, Albemarle was affected by the pandemic. Last 20 months have been uh, unlike any uh, in my professional working career. Uh, and I probably speak for staff when they say that our challenges and the kinds of uh, issues and problems that we faced are like uh, any that we faced in our career. The pandemic began in Virginia officially on March 12, 2020, with the declaration of a state of emergency. That was just as Albemarle was finalizing the budget for fiscal year 21. A decision was made to rewrite the budget to pause some spending while seeking to find out more about underlying economic conditions. Richardson said staff initially assumed the worst-case scenario. Uh, we artificially lowered our budget base. So we had to go in and we had to make drastic cuts uh, for fiscal year 21. 
Richardson said the economic outlook did not turn out to be as severe, and he detailed the reasons why in his presentation. There has also been federal funding in the form of the CARES Act of 2020 and the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Here's one example from Albemarle Budget Chief Andy Bowman. The county was able to reimburse a significant portion of its public safety expenditures, which created a one-time savings in the middle of fiscal year 21 that then the Board of Supervisors used to establish a local pandemic reserve. Now the time has come to begin preparing for the budget for fiscal year 23, which will be adopted by the board next May. That comes as the fiscal year 21 budget is audited, which will reveal whether there are additional funds left over that could be reprogrammed to achieve the county's strategic goals. This is known as one-time funds. In fiscal year 21, revenues were up 5.3% over budget, while county spending was down 4.9%. Unaudited, we expect there to be $13.2 million in one-time funding that would be available to be reprogrammed as the county is heading into the season again of financial planning. Richardson told the board that the local economy is strong, and there are many ways this funding could be used to make further investments in economic development. You met recently with your EDA. I think that we need to consider doing more, and I think now's the time to do more to set ourselves up in the future to uh, help business expansion and to uh, be a catalyst in this community to, to continue to strengthen Uh, our economic foundation. Richardson also suggested the board consider a mid-year salary increase for county personnel. The board will have a work session on workforce stabilization on December 1st. Other suggestions from staff will continue to come to the board in weeks to come. The next immediate step is a meeting of the audit committee on November 19th. A major change this upcoming year is that real estate assessments for calendar year 22 will be sent out a month earlier than usual due to issues with the post office and the potential for delays caused by mail. To appeal, you have to have your information to the county by a certain date. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for November 9th, 2021. Thanks to everybody who has listened, and thanks to those who haven't listened in some strange way. You can help me get to those people by sharing this with somebody that you think might be interested. And of course, that could be anybody. There are a lot of people who live in this community, and every single one is affected in some way by all of these various decisions that are made at all of these various meetings. And my job is to bring that to you you as in as thorough a manner as possible that links you back to primary sources and tries to provide some sort of context and dare I say institutional memory you can help support this uh, through a subscription through Substack. Uh, there's information in the newsletter. This gives you a little bit of extra content, and at different levels, you get a couple of different uh, perks. I won't go into all of that now because it is time to get ready for the next newsletter. But I do want to say that if you do subscribe through Substack, the company Ting will uh, match your initial contribution, which helps uh, to support me and make sure I can continue to pay attention to this stuff seven days a week week. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Thanks again. And in the meantime, stay safe and uh, be leaf.